the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Happy Friday and welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Hopefully your uh, week is done. You're heading home and looking forward to the weekend. Uh, Well, usually you get to hear the voice of Ian Simpkins, but Ian is not with us today. Uh, He had a work engagement he had to be a part of. As we said, we often uh, we we like to remind everybody that we've got multiple jobs here. We're both pastors uh, of local churches. And so Ian had something at his church today. Uh, So I am, at least for part of the show here, going to fly solo. And uh, that is exciting. That's always fun to do. But uh, PJ, that's a that's a little risky. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for these mo- these segments where I look up at the clock and there's three segments left, and I'm like, got nothing else to say. Just <laughs> start telling I, jokes. That that would probably go over pretty well. But <laughs> people people driving home, they like to hear uh, they like to hear some jokes. Yeah, I'll just start telling jokes, or I'll just read the liners over and over again about Greg Laurie's new Johnny Cash book. We'll or just keep or uh, going. yeah, well, we we do need to do that. I know. But <laughs> Stay tuned for that. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. We got to do a couple of them. I've been uh, questions being asked. So we're gonna do some stuff. We're gonna talk about my uh, my all time favorite football player here in a little while. Uh, talk about some other stories, some tweets. We are going to have Dan Ehrman, uh, Dan Ehrman join us later. He's on staff here at the uh, at the radio station. Uh, but Dan is uh, going to come in and talk about the Lyft conference that the station's putting on. So I'm excited to have Dan in, uh, at least to have another voice talk and, and not be lonely in this little uh, studio. So He's excited, too. Good, so. good. So Ian's not here today. He'll be back with us uh, on Monday. Well, you can find us on Facebook at the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show. Twitter is at common good talk. That is at common good talk online. 1160 hope.com. Always find our podcast wherever it is. Uh, you get your podcast. Well, I wanted to start today with the concept of truth, uh, this idea of fake news and truth. And I, I want to do so with an article out of the national review, Uh, entitled this, The New York Times Still Doesn't Understand What It Did. Let me read some of this article, uh, and then we'll reflect on it a little bit together. It starts like this. It was every writer's dream, or it should have been. Two New York Times reporters, Robin uh, Pogrebin and Kate Kelly, wrote a book about one of the most controversial and most reported news stories of our time, The Confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. And thanks to their due diligence, they uncovered a truly blockbuster revelation. Not only did Christine Blasey Ford's key witness and friend Leland Kaiser state that she did not recall the party where Ford claimed she was assaulted, she also said she doesn't remember any others like it. Her words were strong. She said it would be impossible for me to be the only girl at a get-together with three guys, have her leave, and then not figure out what, how she's getting home. I just really didn't have confidence in the story. Even more, uh, the writers uncovered a pressure campaign to get Kaiser to alter her testimony to back Ford. Kaiser told writers, told the writers, I was told behind the scenes that certain things could spread about me if I didn't comply. 
While the reaction to the allegations against Kavanaugh was almost uniformly partisan, as Republicans rejected the claim, Democrats either believed them or thought they cast enough doubt on Kavanaugh to deny him the nomination. There is, in fact, a truth of the matter here. Kavanaugh did or did not assault Ford, and in any fair proceeding, Kaiser's testimony would detonate like a bomb. Remember, this was Ford's witness and friend. She's a Democrat, and moreover, there was now evidence of a pressure campaign that looked a lot like an attempt to suborn perjury. Confronted with these facts, other mainstream media reporters were able to quickly discern the true blockbuster in the book, uh, and they give some of those reports from various news plates. So given these facts, what does the New York Times do? Rather than feature the blockbuster, it ran with an incredibly odd new allegation against Kavanaugh that wasn't truly new. The Senate knew about the claim uh, that uh, about something else that had happened with him. But it withholds from the readers the fact that the alleged victim would not speak to reporters and told friends she has no memory of the incident. All in all, the story was one of the worst examples this author has ever seen of neglecting story for narrative. The true story casts some strong doubt on the narrative that many New York Times readers and staffers firmly believe. So the Times fed its readers the narrative. And it goes on even more uh, to, uh, to tell more of the story. Uh, and it goes like this. It, it ends up this way. that the New York Times owed its readers a far more complete picture. Uh, Jan Crawford could do it in less. Jan Crawford's one of... Uh, is is one of the people interviewed here. Jane Crawford could do it in less than two minutes. Why couldn't the New York Times do it in 2,000 words? So this opinion piece uh, from the National Review is basically asking this question uh, or, or, pre- or, or bringing up this proposition that it doesn't appear that the New York Times was all that um, concerned with the, the, the facts as much as the narrative. Uh, And uh, I want to use that as a jumping off point, because let's be honest, both sides of the aisle do this all the time for The New York Times, uh, for MSNBC, for Fox News, uh, probably even the National Review here. Uh, They they all do this uh, increasingly where our media seems more concerned about the narrative than it does about the facts. And that is now we've got this whole uh, subgenre of something called fake news, right? Our president has famously coined the the, the phrase fake news, uh, and there feels like almost that there is this war on the media. Everything's fake news that you don't like that's said about you, and you can throw that out there, and, and the people who follow you will believe you and say, yeah, it's all fake news. They're making it up. Here's the point, though. These media uh, um, outlets could do themselves a lot of favor by not uh, perpetuating fake news. And there's truth in this. I'm not saying all of this article or all the stuff that they reported is fake, but it certainly comes across as highly partisan and a, and a, and a bit of a hit job when you're saying, well, we had these facts, we had the, these quotes, uh, and that's not the narrative that we push. And, and so you start to see where this whole thing about fake news comes from. And here's my point, friends. As followers of Jesus, a lot of us, I'm a pastor. Ian's a pastor. Uh, this is a, a Christian uh, uh, station. As followers of Jesus, we must, 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 must be concerned about the truth much more than narrative. Uh, Regardless of your political affiliation, regardless of your thoughts on things, uh, of all the people, uh, it is the Christ followers who must uh, must be uh, most concerned about truth, right? So uh, Jesus even himself described himself as, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, And so we need to be concerned about truth. We can't be men and women who do what it seems like so many other people are doing, twisting facts, twisting things 
in order to push narratives, both sides of the aisle. Like I said, you see this every night on Fox News. You see it every day in The New York Times or MSNBC or wherever else. Uh, and that's why people are losing uh, their um, their trust in organizations and outlets that are supposed to be talking about truth. And so here's what I would like to say. Uh, heaven help us if this is ever a description of the church. And I think all too often it is. Uh, the church can't be about covering up. The church can never be about narrative. Uh, the church needs to be about transparency. The church needs to be about truth. And uh, and there's an old saying that I love that all truth is God's truth. That if we, if we uh, if we search out truth, if we uh, speak truth, even when it's uncomfortable, uh, that 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 is the best pathway for people to understand who God is and what He has done. So. Uh, you can find the story at the National Review about the New York Times. But like I said, this is all across the board. Unfortunately, this is increasingly who we are as a culture. And the church must never uh, buy into this. The church must never be more about narrative uh, than it is about the truth. Well, we'd love to know your uh, feelings on this. It's on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about... Uh, probably uh, the football player, the only football player of whom I own a jersey that I have worn proudly. We're going to speak about him. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today on this Friday afternoon. Uh, Usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out just for today. Uh, He will be back with us on Monday afternoon. You can continue in the conversation on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Twitter, at Common Good Talk, at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is uh, you get your podcasts. And uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, that helps us, and uh, and we, we appreciate all of you who listen on the podcast. Uh, so, PJ, John over there, favorite uh, football team. What's your favorite football team? Oh, the Bears. Favorite uh, all-time football player. Like, if you had to buy one jersey, or in the past you owned a jersey, favorite all-time football player? Devin Hester. Really? Yeah. Wow, I, I guess that is your generation right there. That I is grew true. up with Erlacher. Oh, yeah? That was everybody's favorite. And I was a kid. I'm just like, nah, he's everybody's favorite. And I just, I defense, I know you kind of have to know what you're looking at yep. to know. And Offense de- is always way more exciting. It's like the home run king versus the like best reliever. Yeah, plus special teams. You knew Hester catches the ball, and he hopefully can outrun every. That guy runs. was electric. Yes. That guy was electric. Well, my, I've talked about this before. Die hard New York Giants fan. And mm-hmm. right now we're dying hard. <laughs> it is. Yeah, the Giants you know. are off to an 0-2 start. We knew going in that they're going to be terrible this year. Uh, th- but not only is uh, there is only one jersey of a player that I have owned as an adult. And that is of our quarterback, number 10, Eli Manning. So Eli Manning has been the starting quarterback of the New York Giants for every game. Uh, since 2004. And so that's impressive. Yep. So uh, to to put that in perspective uh, and what we're going to talk about here in a second is Eli, they're, they're, they're transitioning off of him they're, He's basically being benched this weekend uh, uh, for a guy named Daniel Jones. And so Daniel Jones, listen to this. If Daniel Jones were to match Eli Manning's career, uh, his, his streak of like uh, how often he played, he would start this weekend, and basically his replacement would replace him in 2035. Oh, my Isn't that crazy? Gosh. And I guess I never realized how 
long he's been in the league. So Eli Manning started for the Giants for his first game in 2004. Daniel Jones was six years old. Oh, my. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And so one of the great debates is, uh, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? I'm going, I am, uh, I am biased on this. I go first ballot Hall of Famer. He is two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time Super Bowl champion uh, of two of the bigger upsets in Super Bowl history, both against the Patriots, and he is top 10 in every stat uh, of quarterbacking. Now, on the flip side, I will own the fact that his career regular season record is 116 and 116. It is an even 500 record. But for just the two Super Bowl rings alone, no quarterback has ever won two Super Bowl MVPs and not made the Hall of Fame in the first ballot. So uh, Hall of Famer in my book. Oh, I agree. And I think the only reason he's not in more light for this is because his brother is Peyton. Yeah, plus you got Eli Face, and you got, you know, <laughs> you got, you've got all the interesting. He has been a frustrating person. Here's, okay, one more crazy Eli Manning stat. You ready for it? Uh, Eli Manning has two of the greatest playoff runs ever 2000, 2007, 2011, where he, they won four games, most of them on the road, beat the Patriots. In 07, it's the 18 and 0 Patriots. You ready for the crazy stat? Other than those two miraculous playoff runs, never won another playoff game. Crazy. Do you have to? No. I mean, like, Hall know, of Famer, baby. That's it. So the Giants this past offseason, they um, they drafted with the sixth pick in the draft, Eli's replacement, Daniel Jones. And the plan this year was for Eli to play most of the year, at least, and Daniel Jones to come in. Well, the Giants have gotten off to such a horrific start that they're putting Daniel Jones in this week. They're like, why wait? Let's start getting him. And so now, uh, especially in the New York papers, where I do a lot of uh, kind of my reading and stuff, it's like... It's like a uh, it, you'd think Eli Manning died. It's like his obituary. And he's such class, man. Eli Manning is such class. Uh, but I want you to hear what he said yesterday as he stood by his locker. The reporters just come rushing at him. It's his first media really since he's been benched. Uh, and I love what he said. Here's what Eli Manning said. Is this the end of Eli Manning or is this another phase? Uh, who knows? So, uh, you know, and it's again, I'm not dying and the season's not over. So there's there's a lot, lot to be positive about, a lot to be grateful for. And, uh, you know, and, and so I just got to, you know, kind of accept my new role and, and make the best of it. I just love that. I'm not I'm not dying or anything. And, and it does remind us of the level to which we take football like somebody. Yeah, I don't know if you could hear the beginning of that question. Uh, the beginning of the question wasn't like, is this the end of the Eli Manning era? The guy literally asked him, is this the end of Eli Manning? And you're like, gosh, he's like 38. <laughs> this was like in the middle of a at least a six minute berating of journalists. Yo, they were totally gosh. surrounding I mean, this him. Was, this was the most New York of all New York uh, sports scenes. Oh, yeah. Just surrounding him and, and peppering him with questions. Uh, but what Eli Manning is going to do is he will be the great teammate. He already uh, has been helpful to Daniel Jones. But I wanted to bring this up. Other than that, it's my favorite team. And I wanted to honor in some way my favorite player. Like I said, I own one jersey as an adult. Usually I make fun of adults who have jerseys. Uh but I own one jersey as an adult, and it is an Eli Manning jersey. The first football jersey I ever bought my son was an Eli Manning jersey. I, he's played the game the right way. Uh, he's worthy of respect. Hall of Famer, I think. Uh, greatest quarterback of the New York Giants in the history of the New York Giants. Not not even debatable. And that team has been playing since the beginning uh, of football. Uh, but... Uh, I do want to bring it up. I want to turn it towards us a little bit and say this. Where do you find your identity? Right? Eli Manning, since 2004, has been the quarterback of the New York Giants. 
And I think that's what that reporter was getting at. That reporter said to him, is this the end of Eli Manning? Because all that quarter, all that, that reporter knows of Eli Manning is the quarterback of the New York Giants. Like that is who Eli Manning is. And, uh, you know, Eli Manning will probably sit this rest of this year unless Daniel Jones gets hurt and he'll ride off into the sunset. My guess he'll retire at the end of the year. But uh, I do think this is one of the most important questions we have to answer as men and women, especially as Christ followers, is where do we find our identity? Like, am I a, a primarily a pastor? Am I primarily uh, even a father and a husband? Is Eli Manning primarily uh, is his identity and his worth the fact that he's been a quarterback of the New York Giants? Uh, he's got a great family. He's made, uh, you know, well north of a hundred million dollars. Uh, like, but that's all coming to an end. Is that his identity? And so many of us, we put our identity in what we do and what we can produce, uh, and that's what our uh, our culture tells us. We as parents put our identity in what our kids can produce, how good they are, or what our marriage looks like. And the Bible makes it very clear uh, that our identities as followers of Jesus, our identity as Christ followers is that of children of God, that we could never be loved more than we've been loved by God by the fact that he sent Jesus Christ to live and to die, uh, be buried and rise again so that we may have life. And, and it, the Bible says that that because of that, that, out of that great love, we have been now taken on the identity of children of God. Uh, And it becomes so important to consider where are you going to find your identity? What defines you? Uh, Because here's the deal. If if I'm primarily in my mind identified as a pastor, like if that's who I am more than what I do, what happens when the church isn't going well? What happens when I leave the church? Well, if I leave the church, what happens if the church starts to uh, not want me there anymore? What happens as a radio host if this show just tanks and they're like, we don't want you to do this anymore? What if my kids kind of go off the reservation a little bit? You know, all of these things. Uh, the question is, where do you find your identity? Friends, you must, must, must find your identity and not in what you do, but in who you are in Christ. Uh, and the good news is that because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into his family, and you are a child of God. And so wanted to kind of make sure we recognize that even while honoring my favorite football player who said, hey, I'm not dying. Like, life goes on. I'm not. I'm much more than uh, a football player. So uh, you can follow us at the, on Facebook at the, the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter also at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, I want to talk about a really sad and difficult story that I saw online uh, just yesterday. Uh, that I think speaks to some uh, really troubling things in our culture. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com, Twitter at Common Good Talk. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. We are grateful for those of you who podcast us. Uh, it's funny. I had somebody recently <clears throat> saying, hey, I, I'm a regular listener to your podcast and I'm really enjoying it, which we're super thankful for. And I was also like, oh, yeah, I don't even think they know that we're on the radio, <laughs> but uh, it's just kind of the way we consume media. So whether you listen on the radio uh, or whether you listen on the podcast or a little bit of both, we're grateful for that. Uh, usually you hear the voice of Ian Simpkins. Ian is not here today. Uh, he had a work engagement. He'll be back here on Monday 
Uh, and so I am flying solo for most of the show today, or in a little, although in a little bit, Dan Ehrman's going to join us, uh, give us a, a, another voice in here. He'll be here in here a little bit later uh, in today's show. So sometimes uh, we like to go lighthearted here, and I, I'm really enjoying the fact, like, I think people are getting that we like uh, to talk about uh, feel-good stories at time because we've had some sent to us. People are sending us feel-good stories they've seen, and so keep doing that. You can do that at the Facebook page or wherever else. Uh, but sometimes we've got to just dive into uh, the the the, um, the despair and the darkness that our humanity can have sometimes. Uh, it's it's can't all be roses and unicorns at all times. And so the next story I'm going to read to you is a difficult one, uh, and it's one of those. It kind of gets, quite frankly, uh, at the depravity um, uh, that our culture can show sometimes. So I'm just going to read it, uh, and then we can talk about it. It's out of people.com, people.com. Boy, age 16, stabbed in fight, lay dying as eyewitnesses and friends videotaped his death. Authorities in New York say a 16-year-old boy died Monday after being stabbed during a fight that erupted outside a strip mall. And rather than help the injured teen or call 911, eyewitnesses recorded his death on their phones. Nassau County Police Detective Stephen Fitzpatrick spoke to reporters on Tuesday, telling them that they're reviewing video footage of the fatal fight that claimed Oceanside High School senior uh, Kasim Morris. They videoed his death instead of helping him, Fitzpatrick said, noting more than 50 teens either witnessed or were involved in Monday's brawl, uh, which happened in Oceanside after school was dismissed. This can't go on, Fitzpatrick said. Your friends are dying while you stand there and video it. That's egregious. Fitzpatrick said Morris was targeted by up to seven teens, uh, seven teens after talk after walking another boy's girlfriend to her home. Uh, Big days. Uh, here it keeps going. As the fight unfolded, Morris was stabbed once in the chest, Fitzpatrick said. Fitzpatrick said he wants other eyewitnesses who may have videotaped the brawl to come forward. Investigators are reviewing the footage they've been able to acquire and are identifying possible suspects. A Kiana Morris, Kasim's sister, told CBS in New York she just hopes justice is served. Everyone loved him, she said, and he loved everyone. He was amazing. Jasmine Ortiz, a parent of an Oceanside High School student, commented to CBS, these kids, they have no humanity. The fight also left another teen with a head injuries uh, and uh, a broken arm. And so I read this story yesterday when I saw it pop up online, and I thought that there must have been more to the story, like that people were scared, they they all went running. Uh, but I looked at it at a couple different places, including this one. And it seems to be exactly what this story is saying. Now, maybe more more facts will come out. But at first blush, it seems to be what this story is saying, that this boy uh, was targeted by kind of a group of teenagers. They're going to beat him up. They're going to rough him up uh, because he walked another boy's girlfriend to her house. And uh, that in the fight, the fight escalated and he got stabbed. And that's a tragedy in and of itself, because that that amount of violence is just super sad. Uh but then what it really appears to be is that there was more than just these seven people. There were a lot of people witnessing this fight uh, who saw he, this happen, who saw him go to the ground and pulled out their phones and kept videoing, taping it. And, and I just can't. It, your phone makes phone calls that nobody called 911 at that moment, that nobody tried to help this boy, that multiple people kept videoing it. This is 
uh, this is like Orwellian. This is this is craziness. When I read this, it, it brought up in me an anger with uh, as a parent who's got kids at this age going, you have got to be kidding me that that, that have we lost that much empathy as a culture, uh, especially uh, in, in towards violence and just the, the pain of other people. And have we become so voyeuristic and so obsessed with recording things and taking pictures? And yesterday or two days ago or whatever, we talked about selfies at the Holocaust Museum and this kind of stuff. Have we become so voyeuristic in this that we could uh, remove ourselves from a tragedy like this? Because I'm going to video this because I don't know why they video it because it might, you know, might, I, I might be able to sell it or, or it might be able to uh, show other people. I don't know what the reasoning would be. And the fact that this boy at the age of 16 died as people videoed it is uh, it is like um, I can't even put it into words. It is it is uh, infuriating. It is heartbreaking. Uh, it is mind boggling. Uh, and and friends, as a culture, we've got to start coming to grips with some of this. You might be out there going, oh, I would never do that. Well, that hopefully that's true. But but this happened. Like this happened uh, and and the, the the you can read the police detective. He just can't believe it. He's like, your friends are there. Uh, your friends are dying while you stand there and view it. That's egregious. And you could just hear the exasperation in his voice. And and we've got to get back to being a culture that values empathy, that values human life, uh, that puts ourselves in the spot of other people. And as Christ followers, especially uh, where where the, the bar has been raised for loving our neighbors as ourselves, like when I read this and I, and I think about the Bible, I think about the story of the Good Samaritan, like walking to the other side. Like this is kind of a uh, a, um, you know, a modern day version of the Good Samaritan story. Like, oh, I see this person in distress and I start videoing him with my phone call with my phone. Like we've got to be people who step into other people's pain. And the question is for all of us, yeah, 99% of us, hopefully, if we saw somebody dying, wouldn't pull out our phone and video it. But where are the other places where we avoid people's pain? Where are the places where we walk around the pain of our neighbor, where we say, ah, it's going to be messy if I get involved in this one? Probably some people didn't help that this boy dying because they were afraid that somebody else might hurt them. Uh, but are we willing to step into the danger and into the messiness and into the uncomfortability of helping other people in their pain, even if it's going to make our life messier, it's going to potentially make our life harder. Uh, it puts us maybe even into harm's way. Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I just read the story and it was just your heart breaks for this family. Your heart breaks for uh, the family of Kashim Morris because even if he did something wrong, he's a 16-year-old boy. He doesn't deserve to die. Uh, and quite frankly, shame on those people who did it, obviously. They need to be brought to justice, arrested, put away for a while. Uh, but also shame on the people who videotaped it. It is, it is uh, on steroids the, the, the uh, what is wrong with our culture. Uh, this kind of lack of empathy, this voyeurism, uh, this... Uh, movement towards I just want to have my own life and not worry about what's going on with other people. Uh, it is just uh, mind-boggling, mind-bogglingly tragic, and uh, should cause us all to ask hard questions. So sometimes we do hard stories on this one. That was a difficult one, but one that I felt like uh, we needed to wrestle with. Well, coming up next, 
Uh, I want to talk to you about a couple things I saw on Twitter. Every now and then we allow our content just to become from uh, what some people tweet. So I'm going to do that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside, or normally alongside Ian Simpkins. He is not here today, but my name is Brian Fromm. Glad that you're joining us today. I'm just doing uh, the show solo a little bit because Ian had a work engagement to be a part of. Uh, but uh, we're going to be joined in a little bit by Dan Ehrman. But uh, really glad to have you joining us. You can continue the conversation with us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, we put up all the articles that we're discussing in the course of a show. We love to get your feedback on them. A uh, little bit more interaction there. You can also find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's common good talk. John, why do you think we get so much more traction on Facebook than we do on Twitter? What does that tell us? What does that tell us about our audience? It is so much more uh, engaging, I think. Okay. Uh, and then I don't know if it's just because it's more popular on uh, on Facebook. There's a lot more people. I think yeah, it's maybe. easier for people to know um, about the show rather than just us talking to them. Twitter audience is different. Yeah, it is. It is. But speaking of Twitter, <laughs> how's that for a segue? Speaking of Twitter, I, I want to share some uh, uh, some tweets that I read um, that I think uh, really get our minds working. So this is something Ian and I have been doing over the last couple of weeks. Like sometimes we take full articles, but sometimes when you're scrolling through Twitter, you just go, wow, that's a fascinating thought. That's really interesting. So I want to do two in this segment. And uh, just ones that really piqued my interest. The first one is from Jeff Vanderstelt. Uh, he's at Jeff Vanderstelt. And uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, uh, he's a fascinating author and pastor, really uh, uh, does a great job thinking, causing us to think about what does it look like to live on mission? Uh, what does it look like to structure your church in such a way uh, as to get people to live as everyday missionaries uh, where they live, work, and play? Uh, and so Jeff Vanderstelt, his tweet from the other day is actually a quote from Tim Keller. It's a quote from Tim Keller. If you've been with the show at all, you know uh, that Tim Keller is somebody that we quote often, pastor, author, speaker out of New York City. Uh, Keller said this, the resurrection is a giant receipt stamped across history saying your debt has been paid for and you don't have to pay it ever again. Let me read that quote for you again. The resurrection is a giant receipt stamped across history saying your debt has been paid for and you don't have to pay it ever again. Friends, that's the good news of the gospel there. So when I was reading this on Twitter, you can write, I got all the sports stuff going on Twitter, all these different things. But every now and then you come across things on Twitter and you're like, whoa, that is that is the good news right there, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is your receipt stamped across history for all time. Your debt has been paid and you don't have to pay it ever, ever again. That, that, that uh, we don't need to live lives of guilt and shame, wondering if God ever accepts me, that God accepts me because in using Keller's language, I hand him the receipt of the resurrection. Uh, that, it, uh, that in some ways the imagery is that when I get to heaven and, and it's like, why do you deserve to be in here? Here's my ticket. Here's my receipt. And stamped on it is just the blood of Christ, the resurrection, that sin and death have been defeated for all time. And you don't have to pay it ever again. 
Listen to that again. You don't ever have to pay it ever again. That's the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that that is the gift that's been given us. And, and Vanderstelt reminds us through the words of Keller here uh, of what makes the resurrection such good news. And I wanted to read that for us today. That's the first one I wanted to read just because sometimes we can lose sight of that. Sometimes if you're like me, we can, li- the resurrection can become such um just uh, almost white noise. Like we talk about it so often. We hear about it in churches so often, but we can never talk about it enough. There's a comment underneath uh, Vanderstelt's tweet where someone just retweeted and said, Jesus is my resume. It's good news. It's good news. The other quote, uh, the other tweet I wanted to read is straight off of Keller's uh, uh, tweet, uh, Twitter account called Tim Keller Wisdom at Daily Keller. It's called at Daily Keller. Uh, Somebody wrote this. Or he wrote, he said this, if someone is criticizing you and the criticism is mostly mistaken, identify the 20% of the indictment that is fair without excuse, be willing to take it to heart. The strongest Christians are the ones most willing to repent. One more time. If someone is criticizing you and the criticism is mostly mistaken, identify the 20% of the indictment that is fair without excuse, be willing uh, to take it to heart. The strongest Christians are the ones most willing to repent. There is so much truth in that. Uh, there's so much good leadership, like just being uh, cards on table for me as a pastor. I am not one of those people who's really good at taking criticism. I struggle with taking criticism. And especially if I feel like the criticism is unfair, uh, I want to uh, fight back. I want to be like, Hey, no, that uh, I want to, I want to go to battle and, and, defend myself. And here Keller's saying that even if it's 80% false, he's saying that most criticism has some nugget of truth to it. And so that even if most of the criticism is false, be secure enough in yourself to ask the question, what is the nugget of truth that is in here? What is the 20% he says of the indictment that's fair? Uh, And then own that. He says, without excuse, be willing to take that to heart. And that he tags on the strongest Christians are the ones most willing to repent. John, what do you think of that? What do you think of that leadership wisdom about even if the criticism is mostly untrue, uh, be secure enough to find what the truth is and learn from it? You ever heard of the two or 22 rule? No. So if two people say you're a jerk, you're probably not a jerk. If 22 (laughs) people say you're a jerk you probably should start thinking about the way you're behaving around people. <laughs> but, like, I like to think I'm good at taking criticism. Yep. I kind of had to the last, like, 10 years of my life because of high school and college, stuff like that. I wasn't very good in school, and I was in denial about that. And mm. people would come up to me and say, my dad was very gracious about it. He'd be, hey, John, you, you just got to work a little harder. Can I keep you accountable? What can I do? And I kind of took that a little better than people just saying straight up, you're no good. You're you're terrible yep, yep. at what you're doing, and I w- immediately I would be so defensive about that. I'd be I had a ton of pushback. I wouldn't want to even listen to them, and I even start defending my actions. I'd say, yep. "Oh, I uh, I I am anxious. Uh, I just don't know. I don't care about this subject. This isn't what I want to do." Blah 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 blah. The reason why I'm failing, and I think as a Christian, I act sort of the same way. Because I take I take my my my, uh, my my relationship with Christ very seriously, but every single day we are dependent on God 
entirely for everything. Yep. Yep. So I think it's great, man. I think that, like, I know in my own life as a pastor, uh, I remember uh, a couple months ago, maybe a year ago now, somebody that I trust was basically calling me out on a couple different things just about my preaching style and preaching in general. And I got so defensive. I'm like, you've never preached before like this, as opposed to like, okay, uh, what can I learn from that? So let me read that one more time. If someone's criticizing you and the criticism is mostly mistaken, identify the 20% of the indictment that is fair. Without excuse, be willing to take it to heart. Uh, The strongest Christians are the ones most willing to repent. Strong words there from Tim Keller. Thought that uh, they were challenging to me, so we would challenge you with them. Well, uh, usually alongside Ian Simpkins, but not today. Uh, Today I'm flying solo. Uh, We are glad that you're joining us. Uh, This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but today Ian is out and about. He's got some other commitments, and uh, he'll be back with us on uh, Monday. So flying solo today, although uh, later in this hour, we're going to have Dan Ehrman join us to talk about some really exciting stuff here that Station is doing, but also talk about the concept of leadership and leadership in crisis. So uh, looking forward to that conversation. But up until that point, uh, flying solo today, so... Uh, this microphone is staring at me and the clock is counting down and going, well, going to have to carry this one on your own, which is always fun to do. Uh, last segment, what we did was uh, I went to Twitter and found just some tweets that, that I ho- thought, uh, hopefully these are encouraging for you. Uh, it's particularly the ones from Tim Keller. And uh, I wanted to take it a little different route with two stories I pulled from Twitter uh, today. The first one is one that has been bouncing all over the internet, especially uh, in the church world uh, from Union Seminary. And Union Seminary is a seminary that we've discussed before on this show uh, because it is ultra liberal uh, and uh, it is ultra uh, kind of getting off its moorings, if you will. Like there's, there's uh, yeah, let's, we'll leave it at that. You can look up Union Seminary. Uh, but uh, on their Twitter account, Union Seminaries uh, at Union Seminary, Uh, They tweeted this today in chapel, we confessed to plants together. We held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us, uh, but whose gift we too often fail to honor. And then they asked the question, uh, what do you confess to the plants in your life? And and so to be honest with you, when I read this, I thought it was uh, the Babylon Bee. This was, uh, uh, it, it's a wild, wild story, but this is a seminary saying in chapel, uh, we confessed, which we want to say, yes, let's use chapel. Let's use church services as times for confession. But then if you saw the picture on their Twitter account, it was uh, kids kind of kneeling or students kneeling before various plants. Uh, and it says together, we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us, but whose gift we too often uh, fail to honor. Um, it is, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of cartoonish to be honest with you. And, and I don't know 
the point. There's a couple different points here to make. One is uh, there is something to be said about the fact that we often in our culture uh, don't value creation enough. God has told us to take care of creation. uh, But this is so far beyond that, that that's probably not even the point of it. Uh, And two, I want to say that uh, this doesn't at all look like um, a biblical Christianity at all. And, and I'm willing to be told I'm wrong about this. If you are out there and you're going, you know what? You're missing the point of this completely. Fire away. Go to Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Go to Twitter at uh, Common Good Talk. Um, but uh, it's to say that it's just a liturgical response Uh, And to say that in worship, Union Seminary went on to clarify our community confess the harm we've done to plants, speaking directly to them in repentance. To me, it just sounds crazy. Uh, And yes, we're we're told to confess to one another, confess sins. But uh, this just seems odd. And uh, especially in certain uh, uh, streams of churches and certain streams of theology, uh, we seem to be getting off uh, of our foundation. Uh, of who it is we worship, uh, what uh, worship looks like, what confession looks like. Uh, so go ahead on Twitter, go to at Union Seminary. They start to give some more uh, why this is a beautiful ritual and why they do this. Uh, but I encourage you to go there because to be honest with you, uh, it seems just crazy. Uh, and chapel, uh, you know, I went to Wheaton College and we had chapel. And while chapel's not a church, it has a particular purpose uh, and that is uh, to bring glory to God. And, and and this seems, this just seems odd. I don't know. I'm trying to be a little bit nice and give them a little bit of wiggle room, uh, but I don't get it. I'd be glad to told to be told why I'm wrong. Uh, if you read this, uh, the comments on their Twitter page, uh, let's just say there's a lot of people who uh, don't get it. Second Twitter one was this. I found this one really interesting. Uh, uh, our old friend that we've had on the show before, Drew Dick, uh, he uh, he retweeted this one uh, from somebody's Twitter account called Godless Mom. So at Godless underscore mom, uh, she wrote this. Ex-theists, I'd love to know if you miss anything about being religious. Hashtag atheist. So a very interesting question uh, that piques a lot of our interest. She's saying uh, those of you who are atheists but who used to be uh, followers of religion, you used to be theists. I'd love to know if there's actually anything about religion that you miss. And she just threw this out there as a question. Uh, and there are all sorts of responses. And I thought I'd read some of them because this becomes really interesting. Those of us who are in the evangelical bubble, who are in the church world, uh, we can forget what what it is that is attractive about it. Some of the things that aren't attractive and that those who are outside the, the tribe, outside the bubble, Uh, what are some of the things that they see as foundational that they either miss or what you're going to see they sarcastically miss. So I thought I'd read some of those because uh, I think it uh, is interesting. Ex-theist, I'd love to know if you miss anything about being religious. Uh, One of them said the support and the respect of my family. Parenthetically, now they think I'm a rebel, confused and tainted person. And the feeling that I had the ultimate truth just for being blindly obedient. And the ironic feeling that the ultimate truth was just handed to me without ever questioning things around me. So there's just answering the question with a a jab. 
and the other person said, no, the guilt, the shame and the fear were burdens lifted away. The suspicion of others and the ability to examine new ideas and concepts were a gift. Uh, and so that's interesting because this person saying, I don't miss anything. And most particularly the guilt, the shame, the fear, the burdens were lifted away. Well, that sounds like gospel to me. Jesus talks about uh, his yoke being easy, the burden being light, that the reason he came was to lift guilt and shame, that that is the good news of the gospel. And this person saying, when I was in the church, I was heaped with guilt and shame. That's once feels kind of interesting. Uh, the other person says, I'm honestly trying to think of something that I really miss. I can't think of anything. I had a lot of anxiety about sins and hell. So being free of that uh, is, is worth it. Um, somebody else said eating all of the leftover unleavened bread uh, and grape juice. Uh, this other person was really interesting. They said, my former worldview, I miss it. That included an afterlife. Uh, I believed in heaven. I guess what I miss is the belief of one day being reunited with those whom I've lost. Uh, and then she goes on to say, that being said, I'd rather accept reality as I see it than convince myself of things that I now find uh, ridiculous. Um, it's very interesting to go uh, back and forth here. Here's one that was interesting. Uh, what do you miss most about being religious, about being part of a church? And this person very honestly answered community and the calendar of events to engage with that community, saying that apart from the church, uh, this person doesn't believe in this anymore, but misses uh, the community that was present. And we talk about that all the time on this show, that something uh, that we as the church have to offer, not the primary thing, but something we have to offer uh, is the ability to be known and to know other people, and that our culture doesn't offer that very much in many different places. And this person acknowledges that often when being a part of a church, there was a calendar of events that allowed them to connect with others. So what can we learn from this as the church? We can learn that from the outside, people think that religion is still all about guilt and shame and condemnation. When in reality, what the church is about, what the good news of the gospel is about, is about the lifting of guilt, the lifting of shame. Uh, and that that is a message that we can proclaim to the world that that would be accepted and is true, that the gospel is not about what we can do to impress God, but that the gospel is about what God has already done for us in the sending of Jesus Christ. That that is a message that would actually be embraced in the world, and we've got to do a good job telling. And that also within that, baked into that good news, is the community, the connection of people who make up uh, the church. And so I just wanted to read those. might sound a little weird reading from an atheist uh, Twitter account going, what do they miss? Uh, and But amidst that sarcasm within it, you can see things that the church really has to offer and the messaging that the people aren't need to hear that is true, but may not be hearing now. Uh, so I pray that we as the church would be able to do a good job at that. Well, speaking of the church, coming up next, we're going to have Dan Ehrman in, in uh, studio to talk about the Lyft Conference and particularly to talk about this concept of church leadership in crisis. Why would we even say that there's a crisis in leadership? Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined uh, by my co-host Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out today. He'll be back here 
uh, on Monday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show and on Twitter at Common Good Talk at Common Good Talk. We're about to be joined in studio uh, by a good friend of the show. How do you like being called that? A friend of the show, Dan Ehrman. Uh, but before we do that, let me remind you of something going on here at the station. Uh, Greg Laurie has written a new spiritual biography of Johnny Cash. You can download a free preview now at 1160hope.com keyword cash. 1160hope.com keyword cash. Also there, you can register to win his 63 album Columbia Records musical library and relive his musical <laughs> and faith journeys. That's 1160hope.com uh, keyword cash. Well, again, joined by a friend of the show, a colleague here at the station, Dan Ehrman. Uh, I always get it wrong. Airman or Ehrman? What are we going with? I don't know. It's German, and it's probably some kind of guttural. <laughs> I don't know how to make it. <laughs> well, then I'm going with Ehrman. Uh Dan is uh, is on staff here, uh, and one of the things he's in the middle of doing uh, is planning, doing all the work with other people here, not just yourself, of something we call the Lift Conference, of the Lift Conference. And so we thought... Let's have Dan on. Let's talk about the Lyft Conference because we want to fill it, have lots of people there. I got a chance to go to it last year, and it was fabulous. It was great. So uh, tell us just the particulars. What are the particulars of the Lyft Conference? So it's our 17th annual conference. Is it really? Yeah. It's my second a- annual. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we've done this a long time, and it's been something that we committed to early on as a ministry of wanting to support church leaders, support chat pastors say thank you to them, um, to build into them as a church, um, and to uh, uh, really encourage them and build them up in the work that they're doing. Anyone who's been in ministry, uh, you kind of get beat up. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, you're dealing with people's deepest hurts and pains, and uh, while the Lord is at work and sanctifying us, uh, none of us are are this you know that side of heaven. Yes, and yes, so good point. you know we're all a project in in a sense. And as pastors, you're trying to push people forward, and yep. and and can be rough. And yeah. so it's a way to say thank you. It's a fun day. Uh, we'll have great speakers there. Uh, free lunch, and it's a free event. For well, there's the key. As a pastor, <laughs> let me tell you the key. It's a free event. What's the date again? Uh, it's uh, Friday, November 15th, Yes, and that's at High Point Church in Naperville. Nice. And it goes from, uh, doors open at 8 a.m., and it goes until about 3, maybe 3.15. Yeah, I remember last year I went to went to it for the first time, and uh, the speakers were awesome. And I remember one of my favorite things, though, during the free lunch, I went with nobody else I knew. Like, I, some of the other staff members of our church weren't able to go, so I was like, all right, I'll just go drive over there myself and... Uh, I remember sitting at a random guy's table during lunch and this isn't usually my style to like, you know, you know, the people who love to sit and talk to strangers like That's me. Not, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's not, I'm an extrovert, but it's not really me. So I'm usually the type to grab my free lunch and they go, but I, you know, there's all these tables set up. So I went and sat and this other guy's like, Hey, can I sit here? An older gentleman. And we talked for like a half hour, 45 minutes yeah. about ministry, about church. He was in a very different kind of church. He was much older uh, but it was really uplifting. Like, it was really cool. And I think that's one of the things uh, that helps here. Let me ask you this. Do I have to be a pastor in order to come to this event? We originally made this as a, an event for pastors. Yep. And over time, we've really shifted to saying just church leaders yeah. across the board. And 
Uh, so it do, you don't have to have the title of pastor, mm-hmm. but if you're a leader in, in your church and you're engaged in, in ministry and wanting to grow in those things, we'd encourage you to come. It's, cool. it's free. You can sign up online. Uh, go to 1160hope.com. You'll see a link to Lyft uh, Pastors Conference. And, uh, you know, please come. If you're yeah. interested, come check it out. I'll be there. Ian will be there. We'll be shaking hands, right? Trying to meet people. <laughs> Yeah, we usually have hundreds of pastors from around yeah. Chicago that yeah. are there, and it's it's really an encouraging time. You, you talked about lunch. I think lunch sometimes in those fellowship moments are holy moments. They are. Uh, as church leaders, you don't always get to connect with different leaders, and uh, we also bring people from a lot of different theological yep. backgrounds. Uh, it's a really diverse room, uh, you know, it, and it's a good opportunity for the church to unify in who we are in Christ. Yep, yep. So uh, there's a theme to it. There's a theme <laughs> in which the main sessions will take care of and also probably some of the breakout stuff. Um, and it's an interesting theme uh, that you and the team putting this together chose this year, and it's this, leadership in crisis. Uh, leadership in crisis. And I want to know, uh, how'd you guys land on that? Why did you feel like that's, we've got this one shot with all these pastors to bless them and to speak to them, to speak to words of life into them, and and why that topic? We read the headlines of the newspapers. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, it it was kind of. I went to the GC two conference at Wheaton College uh, last December, and uh, it was talking about uh, sexual brokenness and mm. church leaders and uh, just navigating some of those things. And uh, it it really touched my heart to be in that room and to, to hear from different leaders. And I wanted to continue that conversation uh, to a broader audience. I think mm. sometimes we can get into what you guys talk about echo chambers all yeah. the time. Yeah. And we, I, I wanted to move that conversation into kind of the larger church community so that it's, it's not just isolated to people who are passionate about a certain topic, but engaging the larger church in, you know, how is God moving in this? And we felt like it was really the heart of God for church and, and leaders and um, to, to you know, coming back to our first love. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is fueling this crisis of leadership? Because like you said, you and I both laughed at it, but it, it's, it's one of those laugh to keep from crying, right? Like uh, you've got, you know, the major stories, the willows and the, the harvests and all that around here that are just painful. But yeah, I try not to name that. Yeah, exactly. You know, but but we like to do that in here. But <laughs> for every harvest and willow, there's 10 or 15 other churches where the pastor has everyone where the pastor's done something or the elders have done something and the church is struggling. Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe it's because we're more plugged in now, but it feels like it's more pronounced right now. Like it feels like these things are going on more. So do you think that's true? And what do you think is fueling that right now? Fueling it is sin. Uh, that's um, a good point. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's a combination of factors of uh, we're in a social media age, and so information yeah. is more accessible. Uh, we have uh, it, it, we're in a season where the popular culture is looking for opportunities to pick away at the church and to, to push it down and to call out its flaws. And we have our flaws, right? <laughs> we, we're, we're, we're sinners who are saved by grace. Yeah. And uh, so, I, but coupled with that, I, I don't want to just make excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also looking at, uh, I do think that we're inundated uh, with sin around us yeah. and with brokenness there. And uh, all of us are susceptible to it. And 
to to earnestly seek the Lord in that in a season of uh, both repentance mm-hmm. of uh, wanting to um, bring light to darkness and looking for God to do a new thing in this generation. Yeah, it's one of the thing reasons that. Uh, you know, there, there's the idol in churches of the idol of big and flashy and this and that. And I know so many pastors uh, who are just toiling away in smaller churches who have just are such quality people. <laughs> yeah. Ian and I, we've we've tried to do our best to start highlighting people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just saying, you know what, these there are people out there. And I think that's part of the point of the conference is to encourage people like that. So they don't feel it's, you know, I'm in a smaller church and you can feel like you're just in this silo. And there aren't other people who understand, and there aren't other people to kind of go to battle with. And I've got other staff members that I can do that with. I, I'm always so respectful of this just solo pastor who's just loving on his staff. And I would guess that part of the point of the Lift Conference is to, let me use the word, lift guys and girls like that up, is to yeah. lift those kind of people up. You know, I think you talk about idols. Leadership has yeah. become an idol yeah, that's a good in, point. in our culture and in in, even in our churches where we've de- – we've really displaced the idea of discipleship with the idea of leadership. And uh, God doesn't call us to go and make leaders. Hmm. You know, he's calling us to go and make disciples. And that's a different thing. A disciple is a follower. It's in part of, you know, the beginning of leadership is followership. And so that's a whole nother conversation. And we're, we're excited though, for people to get a taste of what do we see God doing? We want to hear from great leaders and we'll tell you a little bit more about those leaders when once we come back from our break. Yep, yep. Uh, that's You're a professional, man. That's called a tease. That was a great job. Uh, well, we're being joined by uh, Dan Ehrman. <laughs> There's your German. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> uh, we're going to come back next and talk a little bit more about the Lyft Conference, but more about this just general concept, this idea of leadership within the church and, and some of the crisis points. Uh, that maybe the church in this area particularly is feeling right now. That's next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad you can join us today. Usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out today. He'll be back with us on Monday. Uh, Well, we're joined for a second segment here by our friend Dan Ehrman. And uh, Dan is in to talk about the Lyft Conference going on on Friday, November the 15th uh, for pastors, for church leaders happening at High Point Church in Naperville. Uh, And I'm a pastor. And so to my pastor brethren out there, my friends, I've got the best word about this conference. Not inspiring. That's not the word I'm searching for. Uh, Fun. No, here's the word free. It's Mm. free. Free to get in, free to eat. Uh, free to be blessed. And that's it's just uh, a great service you guys are doing on this because uh, it's not free to put on, <laughs> but it is, uh, it's free uh, for those of us who attend. Yeah, nothing in life is free. Nope. But, you know, the, it, there's also good things yep. in that. And uh, I think part of the driver on this and AM 1160 wanting to put on this conference is to partner with the local church to be able to uh, be a resource for the, the larger big C church. Yeah. And it, we're excited We in, in talking about leadership in crisis as a topic this year. We wanted to bring in speakers who could speak into a variety of yeah. perspectives of where is that crisis and uh, uh, Nancy Beach will be mm. one of the speakers. She's been a teaching pastor at Willow Creek in the yep. past, um, and and she has gone through seasons of you know brokenness and navigating yep. that. And we're we're looking forward to hearing from her. And 
I, I think she'll be able to bring a great perspective yeah. on that conversation, coupled with Jim Daly. And Jim Daly is the president of Focus on the Family. If you're a regular AM 1160 listener, they're on uh, every weekday and a great partner with our station. Uh, and, and Jim agreed to come out for the conference. Awesome. Uh, he's going to bring a great perspective. You know, James, James Dobson is the name always affiliated with Focus on the Family. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. As he stepped away, Jim stepped in and that transition was was difficult, and so he'll talk about that. Jim broke, grew up in a broken home, and um, you know, and navigated some really difficult things. With, uh, in, in, and he'll talk about his story and navigating that. Uh, and then we we've got a panel of pastors who will oh, cool. who will share uh, a little bit about uh, their their experience in different seasons of brokenness in the local church, as well as a panel of experts on. Uh, talking about strategies for how the church can be proactive in protecting the church. About oh, interesting. This. Oh, that's really fascinating. Cause it is, when you say uh, leadership in crisis, you, your first thought is uh, how do you pick up the pieces from poor leadership, from toxic leadership, uh, from churches that have kind of gone through the ringer of this crisis. But, but to think about how do we ever protect ourselves from ever getting there uh, is is interesting. Put you on the spot. What are some of those things that come to mind for you? How do churches, uh, church leaders, pastors protect themselves uh, from, quite frankly, blowing their churches up or or being those types of toxic leaders or buying into that kind of leadership that that does put you in a crisis? I think it begins with the very simple things of read your Bible, pray every day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, of staying rooted in Christ, and that yeah. that's fundamental to it, right? Of uh, when when we're rooted in in the Lord today and walking with God again today, yeah. that that's our greatest protection. Uh, in I think all the organizational strategies in the world, uncoupled from that, yeah. um, we're we're sinking, and yeah. and so we need Jesus. Uh, so it, that that to me is fundamental. But there's also messed up stuff that can happen along the way, and yeah. so there are things that we need to be proactive on. You know, how do we be, best strategically organize our uh, churches. You know, most churches are a 501c3. Mm-hmm. We are an organization. Yep. And while this is fundamentally a spiritual entity, we're also kind of both and we're in the world as well and engaging with our culture. And so how do we structure things uh, for security and how do you set up uh, safeguards for your nurseries and for, oh, that's good. Um, uh, you know, what can the pastor do to, to you know, here, here's resources where you can go to counseling as a pastor. And what does that look like? And that's not an evil word. Like no. that's a, that's a resource. If you've ever listened to this show, you know that to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> but in a lot of places in Christianity, that becomes a, a something that people get shamed about of, Oh, if you have to go to counseling, you know, you've, you've lost it. And, yeah. uh, rather than being honest that we have lost it and we need to go to counseling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I always talk about counseling, like, uh, the same way I give a tune up on my car. That if I don't do the tune-up, eventually my car is going to break down. Uh, and counseling serves that same way. You don't go to counseling when you're what well, you do when you're completely broken down. But hopefully that's not the first time. But you, instead, it's that tune-up along the way that keeps you hopefully from exploding. Because yeah. often, you know, we all hear the stories of take the pastor world where they implode. It's always in that is like secrecy. Yeah, nobody knew what was going on. Oh, well. well I wish somebody did. So, one of the best safeguards I've seen a pastor take is at, at churches, large and small, of having a, a, a small group of people that hold them accountable yeah. on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the pastors I respect the most 
who have really kept uh, things above board constantly are in those conversations for an hour once a week with good friends and typically other pastors. Yeah. And typically, you know, they're on a, on a phone call with somebody on, you know, out in Pittsburgh or, yep. you know, somewhere else in somebody the country. Somebody doesn't care about your church. They're not impressed by you. They're, they're, they care about you. Correct. Yep. Yep. So one of the other cool things you do here is run a show called leading the church. And we've had you on to talk about it before, but I always have to remind myself that not everyone listens to all two hours of every show every day. And so, um, I, you have this unique uh, opportunity. What leading the church is, is you go all around the Chicagoland area or they come in here or you go to their churches and you interview pastors, uh, big churches, small churches, African-American churches, white churches, country churches, city churches, everything in between. Uh, and I think that's an awesome opportunity and you get to get this big landscape. And so, Hey, give us the particulars of that. When's it on? Cause now people might be hearing this going, well, I would like to listen to that. So how could people find that? Uh, but from there, I would love to, again, and we've talked about this before, but what do you learn from that show? Like, does it encourage you? Does it discourage you about the church? What does that leave you? So the show is on podcast platforms all over. Leading the Church is the name, uh, in, so you can find it there. Uh, and I think part of the vision of the show is the unity of the church, mm-hmm. that God is at work in every community across Chicago. There's 225, 250 uh, suburban cities and uh, neighborhoods in Chicago. And that's a lot of places. Yeah. And God is wanting that none should perish, but all reach repentance. And we want to put that story on full display because mm. people are active in some of the communities that are hit hardest by crime in some of the cities that are most affluent. Uh, God is at work in all of those places. And yeah. uh, half of my interviews are minority led uh, churches. Awesome. And so talking to pastors from tons of different flavors and really, I think, theological spreads as well. We can get really nuanced in our theology yeah. and refined. And the beauty of our theology is the one who we worship. Yeah, that's good. And it's not the scaffolding that we build around it in, in, uh, in how we articulate our theology, but the one that we worship in knowing him. Yeah. And so there, there can be some particulars and you can go too far with this, of mm-hmm. course, but uh, moving into relationship, shaking hands over fences where we can yeah. as a church and hearing if when we come to the cross and keep Christ at the center, we can hear our journey in faith and see how God has taken mm, us in, into the, the places and seasons of, of ministry that we're in. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's like the minute and a half we have left when you do that show. Uh, now you've been doing it for what? A couple of years now, right? Two years, maybe almost three, almost three. Uh, when you do that show, now you've done all these churches, all these pastors, uh, are you encouraged by the church of the Chicagoland discouraged? Uh, where, where are you at? Very encouraged. Cool. Uh, it's, it's stories of redemption. It's stories of, uh, God at work. Um, and is it all sunshine? No, of mm-hmm. course not. You know, it's, it's tough. Any, like we said at the beginning, anybody in ministry is, is feeling it. Uh, but it's also God being faithful and using faithful leaders to grow. And so from that, you know, I, I want to encourage pastors to come to the Lyft conference, yeah. to come and check it out. Go to 1160hope.com and find the, the little picture of Lyft. Hear from Jim Daly, hear yep. from Nancy Beach, hear from pastors like Ian Simpkins <laughs> sharing their story. And, uh, and, and from experts who are going to build into the church and, and encourage you and equip you in that. It's free. It includes lunch. Uh, we want to be there to you know, partner up and encourage and bless you guys as a yep. church. So go to 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. You'll see 
uh, like Dan said, a picture that just says Lyft and you click on it and there you can register and you don't even need your credit card because it's free. So right. if for nothing else that it's free and it's a good lunch and you get to meet some cool people, uh, but it will be well worth your time. That's for pastors and also for church leaders. That is the Lyft Conference. Well, Dan, thanks, ma'am. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a blessing. We appreciate it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. That music can only mean one thing and one thing only. We are about to move into a time of fear and uh, trepidation. How's that sound? Uh, It is, this is the time where we do uh, crazy stories we found from the internet. Uh, Interweb insanity, as we like to call it. Uh, little disclaimer, these are stories that we've never read. Uh, and I'm here by myself if you're just joining us. Ian is out today. But these are stories I have not read and a little more danger. These all have come from PJ, producer uh, extraordinary, extraordinaire John today. No help from Keith Conrad today. This is all out of your brain. So every, if, every now and again, he, he releases the reins on me. He's like, you got to do this. I'm like, all right. So if you are insulted by these, there is only one place to lay that blame. I apologize ahead of time. And that is PJ. Here we go. Ohio. Amish buggy with stereo system. 12 pack on roof pulled over by cops. Two Amish men ran into the woods while their horse and buggy continued down the road when deputies pulled them over. The buggy, complete with beer and a large stereo system, was pulled over around 1 a.m. on September 15th. The men were drinking a 12-pack of Michelob Ultra that was settled atop the buggy while blasting music and riding through North Bloomfield, Ohio. These were There were several open bottles in the buggy. The Amish community is generally known for shunning high technology and typically avoids alcohol. While the men ran into the trees, the horse continued down the road, police said. The horse and buggy were eventually caught. The buggy was towed while the horse was turned over to someone who could take care of it until the owners come forward. I heard alcohol makes you stupid. No, I'm doesn't. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Number two, China. Fans of China's own Loch Ness monster deflated as Beast turns out to be an airbag. A mysterious long black object that is captured on video in the Yangtze River and ended up captivating China with theories of its own Loch Ness monster has been revealed as a 20-meter-long industrial airbag. Grainy footage showing what appeared to be a long black sea creature slithering among the waves near the Three Gorges Dam in Hubei province circulated widely on Chinese social media. Uh, The video and a discussion thread about it has been viewed more than 32 million times since it emerged on Friday. The video was covered by most major media, uh, including even the party paper Beijing Youth Daily and state broadcast CCTV and China Daily. Last week, Japanese scientists explained place explosive detonators at the bottom of Lake Loch Ness to blow Nessie out of the water. <laughs> Sir Court Godfrey of the Nessie Alliance summoned the help of Scotland's local wizards to cast a protective spell over the lake and its local residents and all those who seek for the peaceful existence of our underwater ally. Nice use of Napoleon Dynamite, my friend. I there could you go. not use the whole bite. That's it's a good just one. A beaut. I just love those long bites. If someone's just turning on, going, "What? <laughs> what? What are they doing on 1160? Just like, long enough to be like, is, is Christian? 1160? Yeah, right? Kind of gone sideways here. I mean, yeah. all right, New England. Uh, a common numbing. A common. I, I couldn't read the word numbing. A common numbing medication turned a woman's blood blue. 
A 25-year-old woman in Rhode Island gave new meaning to the phrase feeling blue when she developed a rare and sometimes fatal condition called, oh, you're going to give me a really long one here, <laughs> uh, methamoglobinemia that turned her blood a deep shade of navy blue. The woman, whose care was described Wednesday in the New England Journal of Medicine, told doctors that she had used a topical pain reliever for a toothache. The next morning, she woke up feeling sick and went to the emergency room. I'm weak and I'm blue, she said. The woman had indeed taken on a bluish tinge. Uh, she was what doctors called uh, cyanotic, a medical term that refers to when the skin and nails can take on a bluish color. This is a typical sign of the body is not getting enough oxygen. I'm so blue, cuckoo, blue, cuckoo, blue, cuckoo. I'm so blue, I don't know what to do. Well done, man. That's good. That's good. The next one's out of Canada. Man who tried to fight grizzly bear in Banff National Park fined $4,000. It appears uh, that's what has happened in Banff National Park in 2015 when Daniel Mitsuing got out of his truck shirtless and began shouting at a young grizzly while in a boxing stance before charging at it. Caught on camera by a couple of nearby photographers who were taking pictures of the lone grazing grizzly bear, uh, Mitsuing was later located in British Columbia uh, and charged under the National Parks Act for disturbing wildlife in a national park. Uh, after two missed previous court dates, the case finally came to a judge, and they imposed a $4,000 fine. Those bears are going to hurt them! News team, let's hunt! <laughs> Last one out of California. Dog caught destroying a book about, oops, canine training. The pet's owner shared footage of the chaos he came home to one morning. While the mess would have been bad enough on its own, the dog apparently chose a very appropriate target. The video uploaded to YouTube, uh, uh, and the owner claims that he came home to a torn up book after leaving for school very early that morning. According to him, his dog wasn't happy about not being able to go to the park until later in the day. Hilariously, the footage shows the dog standing over a shredded uh, book titled Guide to a Well-Behaved Dog. Uh, the footage was captioned, This is Rev. I had school early this morning. Clearly, he was mad about having to wait to go to the dog park. Don't worry. We went straight to the park to play and get some of the wiggles out. Come again? <laughs> you know I don't speak Spanish. In English, please. Anchorman, right? Anchorman? Oh, two for two. There you go. Hey, well done, man. Well done. Yeah, I appreciate on your it. Maiden yeah. voyage that was on, it was hasty, too. I had to do that like mid-segment. There you go. Everything. There you go. Well, Ian Simpkins will be back with us on Monday. Uh, hope you join us on Monday from 4 to 6. My name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.